I feel like I feel like the only appropriate song is like Malekaliki Maka is the thing to say on this bright Hawaiian Christmas day. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, murder. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Roya. Merry Christmas, Casey. And welcome all to The Strange and Unusual, where we will be discussing The Strange and the Unusual. It is episode eight today of our globetrotting series, seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. As we said, I'm Casey. And I'm Roya. And today, we're going to be talking about Christmas death and destruction and stuff. What are you talking about today, Roya? I'm actually going to be talking about the Lawson family murders, um, which was a murder-suicide in the early 1900s. Damn. Merry Christmas. (laughs) I'm talking about the Santa Claus bank robbery of Cisco, Texas. Oh, I have so many hopes of what this is going to be. I'm going to tell you it's probably not as good as you're hoping. Probably not. Or it's better. Yeah, we'll see. Who knows? It could go either way. I hope you got some sweet ass gifts. Uh, I hope so too. I don't know. We're recording these in advance um, for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm letting them have the illusion that this is fresh. But I don't have anything. So how am I going to be like, oh yeah, I got this cool thing. (laughs) And everyone's going to be like, but what cool thing? the illusion. How about I say, I hope you get some cool shit. Sure. I hope you get some cool shit. <laughs> I was leaving all of that in. <laughs> Everybody, Roya hates me. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, well, so, you're you're so mean to me, it's clear that I have to hate you or something, right? That's I how am, that works. I am really mean to Roya, and everybody knows it because everybody's listened to the podcast. You're not mean <laughs> to me at all. <laughs> this illusion so, that you're mean to me. Um... Tell me about these murders and suicide. Okay. So, Charles Davis Lawson was born May 10th, 1886, and was a tobacco sharecropper in North Carolina. Um, He married Fanny Manring in 1911, and together they had eight. (laughs) (laughs) You were trying so hard. I was so proud of you. <laughs> I had to put my Oreo in my mouth at that exact second. But he said Fanny Manring. <laughs> why, God, why? Okay, okay, sorry. Fanny Manring, yes. That's a, that's a name. Whew. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Fanny Manring. <laughs> Stop it. Oh, that tickles me. Okay, so together they had eight children. (laughs) Fanny Manring had eight children. (laughs) I'm going to laugh about it while you're gone. Are you ready for Fanny Manring? (laughs) You saw it gotten out of your system? I think so. I don't believe you. 
I hope so. I hope not. <laughs> you didn't warn me. <laughs> I forgot about it. <laughs> I tried so hard. Okay, yeah. So in 1911, they got married. They had eight children. Uh, their son, William, died in 1920 of illness. <laughs> I don't have any more detail than that. <laughs> Which is like, yep, he died. It was the 1900s. It was the illness. <laughs> Consumption. Together, the family moved to Ger- the Germantown area, and they worked hard, eventually saving up enough money to buy their own farm in 1927. It was like a 200-year-old farmhouse. It was giant and ancient. Alright, I'm sorry. I think in my laughing at Fanny Manring's name... Uh-huh. I missed where this is taking place. Uh, this is taking place in North Carolina. Okay. There's a Germantown, Pennsylvania, too. So I went, wait, what? I don't think it's... I don't think they moved that far. Okay. Sorry. But I don't know. Maybe. I didn't actually look into it. I don't care. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in 1929, Charlie Lawson gathered up his entire family... So, 37-year-old wife, Fanny, 17-year-old Marie, 16-year-old Arthur, 12-year-old Carrie, 7-year-old Maybell, 4-year-old James, 2-year-old Raymond, and 4-month-old Mary Lou. He gathered them all up and took them on a trip into town to take a family portrait after buying everyone new clothes. Um, They weren't super wealthy, and so all of this extravagance was really unusual um, for the family to do at the time period because they weren't doing poorly, but they also weren't rolling in money. So once they got home from their shopping and family portrait, Charlie sent his eldest son, Arthur, on an errand. I guess it took overnight from what I've read. And then after that, Charlie went into the barn and got his shotgun, and he began to wait. So... I don't like where this is going. <laughs> he is waiting to see any of his family members. So first, he sees two of his daughters, Carrie and Maybell. They were going to go to a walk for their uncle and aunt's home. They they lived um, next door to, but it's a farm, so next door is relative. And when they were in range of the barn, he opened fire with his shotgun. And it's thought that he killed them, more than likely then. Um, But to ensure that they were dead, he then bludgeoned them and put their bodies in the tobacco farm, into the tobacco barn, um, hiding them temporarily. Okay. He then went to the house next and shot Fanny as she sat on the porch. And when the gunshot went off, Marie, the eldest daughter, screamed inside the house, and the two younger boys tried to find a place to hide, which is super, like, I can't even imagine having this happening around you and being, like, what was it, four and seven? Yeah. No, four and two. Like, your whole family, like, your your dad walking around just shooting your family. Mm. So Charlie then killed Marie... And then found both of the boys and killed them as well. Then he moved on to Mary Lou, the four-month-old baby. 
she was just a little baby. He killed her as well. Uh, but it is reported that she died of a skull fracture, likely due to blunt, uh, being bludgeoned to death versus being shot or being uh, strangled or anything. Ugh. After all of the murders had been committed, uh, Charlie went missing as well. Um, Arthur, be- It's believed that Arthur returned home and raised the alarm of finding his entire family dead and his father missing. Yeah. Charlie had also arranged all the bodies so that their heads were resting on a rock and then their arms, I believe their arms were crossed across their chest, like trying to sort of put them in a funeral-like position, a burial position. Hmm. And so they started to search for Charlie and were looking in the woods around the home. And then a few, a few hours later, a shot cut through the air and Arthur and the police tracked it to its source. And they found Charles Lawson from a cell dead. Found Charles Lawson's body, I guess, from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. And then around him were letters to his parents, but they didn't contain any explanation as to why he had done it. No explanation as to why he had saved Arthur and sent him away before killing everyone. Which I'm sure weighs heavily on him, or weighed heavily on him. Arthur, yeah. You know, being the one sent away, and your father kills your whole family, like, why did he spare you, sort of thing. Hmm. And was it just because if Arthur had been home, he was the one person who may have been able to overpower his dad? That's what I was thinking when you first said that he was sent away. I was like, oh yeah, send away the the strapping young man. Yeah. Hmm. There were also footprints around the tree where his body was found. And it's believed that he had been pacing around the tree while he was contemplating suicide. Sounded like he had some real demons in his brain there. Yeah. So after that, it's basically as far as the police of the time are considered wrapped up. The person who killed his whole family is dead. There's no one to try. There's no evidence to need to take or do anything with. And so as a result of this, the house fell into ownership of Charles's brother, who is the neighbor. And his brother kind of turned it into a tourist attraction. Oh, that's nice. Because this crime was so strange and interesting at the time. I mean, people are still talking about it and speculating as to why Charles would just suddenly kill his whole family and so in fact it was the yeah it was the uncle the whole place was left as is so blood stains and all and the even more strangely there was a cake that marie had baked just a few hours before her father committed familicide mm-hmm. and that was left out and was just like on the table as you know rotting yeah like this was but as kind of a visual representation of like this was so recent this was just a normal day she hadn't you Mm -hmm. know nothing is overturned there's the cake isn't messed up you know there wasn't something leading up to this it was just suddenly done but people began people who were visiting the house began to steal small things from the home to keep as like weird macabre memories And so people were stealing raisins off of the cake, Maria's cake. And so they eventually sealed it in glass 
um, to keep people from messing with it. And then they were even stealing, like, bark from the tree where Charles killed himself. Like, these people what? just wanted murder memorabilia. Murderbilia. Yeah. Yeah. There have been a couple of ideas as to what could have caused Charles to seem to just fly off the handle. One that I've seen that's kind of been disputed by later facts was that the Lawson family alleged that... Charles had had a very severe head trauma when he was younger and that they theorized that the head trauma could have been the cause, you know, a lot of serial killers have an association with some sort of severe head trauma, um, normally to the the frontal lobe where it controls your um, instinct and um, Mm -hmm. morality. And so that was kind of held as a possible explanation like he wasn't actually like there wasn't a reason he just couldn't you know like something happened further to his brain that caused him to fly off the handle another claim well that one was debunked because the during the autopsy the person who the mortician or the would it have been like a medical examiner at the time medical examiner coroner yeah i guess it probably would have been more called a coroner in the 30s but they found no signs of any kind of head trauma that would have last left lasting effects on his brain um so that was kind of debunked the head injury theory Hmm. another claim is that charles didn't actually kill any of the family members and that instead he had seen some sort of organized crime incident and had been found out which resulted in a hit being called on him. And then they arranged it to make it look like a suicide. So for further shame and, you know, dragging Charles Lawson's name through the mud. Yeah. And this is, you said 1930s? 1929? Yeah. 1927? So, I mean, that's a little, that's like around that Dillinger sort of time. That would make sense. Yeah. But then years later, a a more plausible, potentially motive came out which was that an author actually found notes and interviewed Stella Lawson which was the niece of Charles Lawson and she stated that a possible motive that the family kind of always knew about but weren't really talking about was that Marie had gotten pregnant and the family was super pissed about it And that the added stress and everything had caused him to just not see an out, not see a way to fix this. Um, Only saw one way to fix it. But why kill everybody? Yeah, like, why kill the baby? You know, the two-year-old. Why do you need to kill your wife? Yeah. Well, the plot thickens on this theory. Because later the authors were able... I've seen a couple of mixed things. I've seen where Stella Lawson gave the authors this woman's name. I've also seen it where Stella Lawson called in herself and told the authors after they had published their book. Uh, And the book is called White Christmas, Bloody Christmas. But they spoke to someone who was close to the family and alleged that Marie had confessed to her 
that Charles had been raping Marie, and that resulted in Marie's pregnancy, and that no one was supposed to talk about this. And then when Marie had spoken about it, that Charles maybe had found out and was super upset and decided that, you know, well, now the word is out. My family is ruined. There's only one way Mm -hmm. to kind of absolve us of this. Well, and if he's already the, if he's already the type of man who is raping his daughter, it's not as far fetched to think that he would murder his entire family. Yeah. And um, there were also allegations that Fanny may have discovered what was going on and was going to do something about it, which resulted in the fire, the shooting starting. Mm. But it's not actually known for sure if this is accurate or not. People have looked at the family portrait because it got developed and got made and confined it online um, and people analyze it a lot, saying that, you know, the the mother is looking sort of down because she knows what's going on as far as, you know, what's happening to her daughter. And that, you know, Marie is just staring dead on to the camera. Like, people say that it looks like she's asking for help. Like, you know, someone notice. Uh, but people... Yeah. A lot of people have looked at it and said that she doesn't appear to have any kind of, like, baby bump or anything to indicate at the time that they would have known she was actually pregnant. Because, you know, this was before ultrasounds and before pregnancy tests, before all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it's hard to tell how early someone can actually tell they're pregnant or not. It might have also just been she was afraid that she was that started all of it. Mm -hmm. But we will never really know. I mean, I think it's definitely the most reasonable that um, Charles either was ashamed of his family or had some sort of a psychological break that resulted in him snapping and murdering his family. Yeah. Wow. That's a. Yep. (laughs) That's Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) Too dark. You said it wasn't too bad, and I was not expecting I didn't think it was too... Like, I mean, I get killing kids is obviously bad, but I didn't think that it was worse than Ken and Barbie. I mean, it's not. (laughs) Nothing is worse than Ken and Barbie. Well, mine is a little more lighthearted anyway. Yeah, I don't think... I. You'd be hard-pressed to find one that made me shudder more than that, I think, because that was... Challenge accepted. Please. Please, no. I'll do the toy box killer. So. <laughs> All right. Do you wanna do you wanna hear about how Santa robbed a bank? Sure. All right. <laughs> On December twenty third, nineteen twenty seven, in the town of Cisco, Texas, Santa robbed a bank. Marshall Ratliff uh, was a twenty four year old ex convict from Cisco who had been previously arrested with his brother Lee for bank robbery in Valera, Texas. I think that's how you say it. Valera, Texas. They were just pardoned by the governor, which I'll get to in just a second. And well, what do you do when you're out after serving less than a year of an 18 year sentence? Rob another bank. You rob another bank. Yes. Uh, so the governor. That's at the what time, I'd do. I know. So <laughs> I know you would. Um, their mother basically 
went to bat for her kids and went to the governor, uh, who was Miriam or Ma Ferguson. She was known for her policy of pardoning convicts. In her two terms, she let about 4,000 convicts out of jail. So. I wonder if that's good or if that's bad. <laughs> I know, right? Like, I was like, ooh, I don't, I don't know that I like that. But I also don't know if that's okay. Like, how many of these convicts needed to be where they were? Yeah. Um, but Ma Ratliff went to Governor Ma Ferguson and uh, babies got out. So there they go. They're out and they're getting ready to rob another bank. <laughs> so as I, as I told you in the last episode, Santa was really hitting his stride around this time. Mm-hmm. He just started doing the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade in 1924 because he had all those elf workers he could just leave while he went off on his fancy CEO vacations. Hashtag eat the rich. So seeing a Santa walking down your street, December of 1927, pretty ingenious, actually. Yeah, not a bad plan. It's And it's happened since then. Like if you look up like Santa robberies, like, You'll see a bunch of them all over the place. And it actually reminds me, uh, there's a Bill Murray movie called Quick Change. Have you ever seen that? No, I've never even heard of it. Well, it's called Quick Change. It's really good. It's got Gina Davis and who's the idiot Quaid brother? Randy Quaid. (laughs) And so Bill Murray dresses up like a clown in New York City. And it's just walking down the street with some balloons. Spoiler alert, by the way. And goes into this bank and he goes... This is a robbery. And everybody kind of chuckles and goes back about their business. And he goes, this is a robbery. And nobody wants to believe. So he takes out a gun and he shoots at the ceiling and everybody freaks the fuck out. So it's it's just funny. Like, that is still a continuing theme of you go into a bank and you rob it as this unsuspecting sort of character. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I really do suggest you watch it, at least for that whole beginning with the bank scene, because it's so good. Uh, So, anyway, Ratliff and his brother are going to rob the bank, but his brother actually gets arrested again before they can do this. So he brings in some other ex-cons, and uh, he knows them from a different town in Texas. You have Henry Helms, who was then 32, and Robert, or Bob, Hill, who was only 21. Uh, there's also a fourth man who wasn't supposed to be involved as a safe cracker, but nobody knows his name because he wasn't actually involved. He ended up getting the flu while they were planning <laughs> everything in Wichita Falls. And so they had to get somebody else to sort of help. So uh, Helms, the uh, 30-some-year-old, gets help from a relative. This guy was a sort of down on his luck kind of guy, wanted to give his family a nice Christmas, has this promise of getting a whole bunch of money. So Lewis Davis, then 33, comes in to aid with the crime so he can get a cut of the loot. I feel really bad for him. I don't know his story like beyond this, but I feel kind of bad for him and everything that happens. So it's 1927. All kinds of bank robins. Robins. That's what I was <laughs> Jesus. All, all kinds of bank robberies are happening. Like I said, uh, taking place about the same time as these murders. It's like the the whole John Dillinger thing and people are running banks because the depression's about to happen or is happening currently. I can't make time work in my brain. 
So these banks, three or four banks getting robbed in Texas every day. And that's just in Texas. In response, the Texas Bankers Association offers a $5,000 reward to anybody who will shoot a bank robber during the crime. (laughs) Because Texas. Isn't that just the most Texas thing you've ever heard? Yeah. I mean, that's that's really funny. Like, (laughs) offering money to... Vigilante. Yeah. Kill that bank robber. (laughs) Anyway, Ratliff knows that because he's from Cisco, that if he's seen there, he'll be recognized. So the challenge was he had to disguise himself. So he chooses to use a Santa suit to hide his identity. He borrows the suit and the stories differ. There's it's either from a friend who's going to dress up like Santa for some kids. In other stories, there's a whole woman involved who's running the boarding house that they're staying in. Her name's Midge Tellit. They end up stealing a car from Wichita Falls and head to Cisco on the morning of December 23rd. So Christmas Eve Eve. Mm-hmm. <coughs> All right. So Ratliff gets into costume. And he's let out of the car several blocks from the bank. And he's smiling away as he walks down the street, being Santa, busy with people getting ready for the holiday. People are in the Christmas spirit. There's decorations. Everyone's excited and happy. Santa's walking down the street. It's a great day. It's completely normal Christmas Eve Eve in Cisco, Texas. At this point, children start to follow Ratliff <laughs> down the street. They follow him. All the way to the bank. They follow him into the alley where he meets up with the accomplices. I mean elves. (laughs) And then they follow him into the bank. So this is the part of the story that was hard to find a lot of solid evidence on. So I'm just kind of mashing everybody's story all together so that I get everything covered. Okay. Because... Part of this is that Cisco basically takes this story and makes it a part of their town folklore. Everybody wants to say, oh, I was there when that happened. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways that it's told. So it gets a little fishy from here. Okay. He walks in and the cashier and or president of the bank (laughs) says, hello, Santa. And he doesn't say anything back. One woman even allegedly asked him what store he represented, because back then, that's how Santa's worked. Yeah. Um, and he said, you'll know soon enough. The three accomplices come in behind him. Everybody takes out their guns. Bing, bang, boom, robbing a bank. Santa orders for the employees to open the vault, and he gives the teller a potato sack to fill. Meanwhile... Kids are still trying to follow Santa. There are kids in the bank, including a 12-year-old Laverne Comer and a 10-year-old Emma Mae Robinson. There's a little girl named Frances Blasengame. I I hope I'm saying that right, Blasengame. Uh, She's six years old. She had begged her mother to go into the bank after Santa because she wanted to tell him what she wanted for Christmas. They walk in as the robbers are drawing their guns. Frances's mother starts to drag her daughter to the back of the building. The gunmen are telling her to stop, but they don't shoot as she's running out, screaming into the alley. So there's that. And remember where we are. This is Texas. A, quote, herd of shopkeepers, clerks, and other citizens grab their own guns. (laughs) Even the postmaster is here. 
And by the time Santa has filled his sack, this mob is surrounding the bank with the police, wanting that 5k dead robber reward. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this, this, I love it. Okay, this story is so Texas, it was killing me. Who fired the first shot is unknown. One source says it was Ratliff as a signal that the robbery was complete. Other sources uh, says it was one of the accomplices um, that they saw somebody looking in the bank window and took a shot. Whatever the case was, bullets are now coming left and right. The robbers are all trying to GTFO with the stolen loot. They try to get to their Buick that they stole from Wichita Falls and get away from uh, get away from this and to safety. In the fire, Bit Bedford, he was the guy who originally arrested Ratliff for his first bank robbery. His name's Bit Bedford. He is here. He shoot or he is shot five times and dies on Christmas Day. Another officer, George Carmichael, is also shot, but he doesn't die until a whole three weeks later on January 17th. A handful of civilians are injured in the fray. Ratliff and Hill take bullets. And Davis, the family man who was in need of money. Yeah. He's wounded as well. Mm. So the guys grab those kids, Laverne and Emma May, to take as hostages and meat shields, and they book it. Uh, Laverne was said to have recognized Ratliff due to his previous troublemaking in Cisco. Mm-hmm. I guess at 12, you can start to, like, recognize people for that sort of thing. I don't know. In the 30s or the 20s. <laughs> well, yeah, you're seeing a lot fewer faces than we see now. Yeah. Um, so the crew of robbers here, the criminals whatever they tried to ditch the car because it had a flat from being in the shootout and it was also low on fuel because these idiots didn't fill the gas tank before they came (laughs) making sure your getaway has gas evidently was not a priority makes sense so they flagged down a car that's being driven by a 14 year old who is stoked to pick up santa They force the family out of the car and start to pack up their loot and injured accomplice. But criminals are fucking stupid and don't think to take the keys off the kid who is now hiding them in his pocket. So they put everything back in their original getaway car and drive off again, leaving behind Davis, who had now gone unconscious, the $12,000 plus in cash, the $150,000 in securities. Like, they, they didn't... From what I read, they didn't realize that they didn't put, like, oh, Rob clearly put that in the, in the trunk. Yeah. You know, I thought he did it sort of, sort of thing. But they leave behind the poor guy who was just there to try and help his family out. And like I said, I don't know that that's actually the case, but I do know he did not have a criminal record before this. Angry Mob comes, finds the abandoned man and the loot, and they temporarily give up their search Davis is taken to Fort Worth Hospital, and he dies from his injury. And as I said, I feel sorry for him. Yeah. This was the only crime he ever committed in his life that he was caught for anyway. Yeah. That was a bummer. Yeah. I was like, oh, God, really? They get out of town, like about a mile out of town, before the car quits. Because, again, idiots didn't get gas. They try to get away on foot, but they're injured. They leave the two girls in the backseat of the car where police found them. They'd end up feeling, feeling, they'd end up feeling three other cars. (laughs) And then they steal them. (laughs) 
They steal three other cars, one with a hostage, and it took a manhunt with bloodhounds and an airplane to track them down. Wow. This this hostage was Carl Wiley, a young man who worked as a driller. His father caught them stealing the vehicle with his son, and and he shoots at the vehicle with his shotgun. Guess who he hits? Who? His kid. Oh, no. <laughs> Poor Carl got hit in the blast. So, after they're captured, after they're captured, they went to trial. Hill got 99 years in jail. He attempted escape three times, but was paroled in the 1940s after he chilled out. And then he died in 1996. The motherfucker was ancient. Helms was sentenced to death after an unsuccessful plea of insanity. And he got the chair in 1929, being the one identified as the one that killed the two police officers. He is said to have had cabbage, sausage, tomatoes, and coffee with a piece of pie for his last meal. In case any of you freaks like the whole last meal thing. I always think it's interesting. I feel like sometimes it tells a lot about the person. I, see, I always feel like it's contrived. Like, unless somebody, like, who's the one who ate, like, one Tic Tac or some shit? I mean, Eileen Wernos had just one black cup of coffee. I don't remember who. I think it was, like, one thing. I don't think it was Eileen, though. Anyway, so, Ratliff was convicted on the 27th of January of 1928. He's sentenced to 99 years as well for the robbery. But then in March, he's sentenced to death for the, the two policemen even though no one actually came forward saying that he shot a gun at any point. He tried for an appeal and it failed. And his mom, remember, who got him out the first time? Yeah. <laughs> files for a lunacy hearing in Huntsville. But it doesn't go anywhere because, ooh, my favorite part, Santa is killed by an angry mob. <laughs> because the story just keeps getting better. So people are pissed that this guy hasn't already been executed at this point. And hearing that they might go to a lunacy trial, it pissed a lot of people off. Imagine. Um, Because imagine like the, like I don't know how to say it, but like the feelings that people are having around this time of year and just knowing how many people have died. Eight were injured. I think six in total were killed after everything that I'm about to talk about here. But it's like, that's a lot of things happening and like what what's going to affect your kids apparently there was some kid in a church uh on christmas eve who went up to the santa they had there and went why did you rob that bank santa oh no yeah so like this is something that's affecting this entire town beyond just and i don't think well yeah i was just thinking i was thinking about all those kids that had followed santa into the bank and then he robs into it. the bank like that would yeah. be so traumatic yeah, one of the stories that I read, and like I said, a lot of these were online or like videos online and people want to be attached to that for some reason because it is local folklore. Yeah. And so one lady was saying that she was with her little brother and they saw Santa and as they're walking down the street, they stopped him at the clock tower thing that was right in front of the bank and shook his hand and her brother asked for a football and he was so nice and everything and it's like, can you imagine? Then he goes into that fucking bank and robs it. Yeah. And you just shook hands with somebody who may have potentially killed somebody. Yeah, I don't, I mean. So. 
We've all probably... I don't remember the statistics of, like, how many times you've come in contact with a murderer in, like, your years of life. I mean, it would be an interesting statistic to know, especially... It's it's so funny, like, we're doing this podcast and, and there's definitely some amount of sensationalism about that in terms of murders and things like that. But the number of shows that we have on our television make us think that like a murder happens constantly and that it's just another thing that happens when actual murder isn't happening quite as often as those TV shows make you believe they are. Yeah. And it doesn't. So it's, it all takes way longer than they depict it to take. Oh gosh. Every time, every time they're like, Oh, I'll just put these fingerprints in the CODIS. (laughs) AJ freaks out because he was in signals intelligence when he was in the army and so he has some sort of background on, he also had a criminal justice degree. So he has like this background in this and he goes, oh my God, I hate this. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a bing, boom, here's your, here's your guy. It takes a long ass time to run those. Yeah, I mean, CODIS. I'm sure it's only getting faster and more efficient. But yeah, like you're going through how many people. Yeah. And how many different markers on the fingers and that sort of thing. Anyway, sorry, let's get back to this. So. These people are pissed. November 1929, the Eastland County Jail. Ratliff manages to get a gun and fatally wound one of the guards. He pretended to be paralyzed in his cell so that the two jailers would come in and like help him up and, you know, whatever. And he manages to get a gun and shoot one of them. I'm not even mad. I'm impressed at this point. (laughs) like oh i just magically became paralyzed please come help me oops got your gun (laughs) like i can't even figure out how this happened i've been so we've been watching since we got disney plus we've been watching a bunch of the simpsons and it just reminds me of the the like convict character on their snake and how he's constantly just talking chief wiggum into like letting him out (laughs) (laughs) because wiggum's just an idiot so Ratliff uh, gets the gun, fatally wounds uh, Officer Jones, I believe the name was. The citizens hear about this and they're like, fuck it. You guys clearly don't know what the hell you're doing. We're taking care of this. So they all, you know, dive in on this county jail. And the one guy is like, no, man, the, the other guy who was involved, uh, the other police jailer guy. He's like, we got it under control. Let the law do the law thing. And they're like, get the hell out of the way. 15 to 25 men, it is said, manhandled this officer out of the way. And a ta- uh, this is a crowd of like 2,000 people storming the jail, <laughs> dragging him naked through the streets. His hands and feet are tied. They carry him to a lot behind a local theater where they are allegedly showing the play the noose. Oh, how convenient. Right? <laughs> they throw a rope over the guy wire between two telephone poles where they are about to hang him. The first attempt fails and he falls to the ground. The second attempt, however, they used a stronger rope. So, Merry Christmas. When in doubt, use a stronger rope. Uh, his last words uh, before he was lynched are allegedly, forgive me, boys. No one has ever tried for the mob lynching. Thousands came to see Ratliff's body, though. And like I said, many people claim to have been there. 
because it is just a part of their town's history and everybody wants to be involved. I mean, yeah, you see that you see that a lot in different areas and there's a documentary I've watched uh, a couple of times called Killer Legends and one of the yeah. one of the um things that they cover is the you know the call is coming from inside the house urban legend mm. but the the one that has that sensationalized idea is the Texarkana murders where a serial killer basically came through and it's like a real case it really happened but then it's gotten sensationalized and it's gotten you know different aspects attached to it and a couple of movies like the town that dreaded sundown how everyone especially for a while like knew someone who knew someone who did a thing or was there or saw her body or you know like everyone in the town at the time had some connection to those crimes and i think that's just sort of a small town thing to do yeah i mean i my town was fairly small i think it was like 1500 people where i grew up and i can't think of any murders that happened there but i also wasn't looking for them when i was that small yeah i should go back and look now though (laughs) but yeah like i can i can totally see that being a thing of oh my grandmother saw that firsthand and this is what she told me because everybody wants to feel like they have some sort of contribution i guess is the best way to put that but it just seems weird like People wanting to attach themselves to things like murders and bank robberies. and Yeah. It's a thing, though. Like, you've got people who go in and admit... I can't remember... I don't remember... I don't remember his name. Um, But there was a man who, like, came in and confessed to 700 murders or something. Okay. And, like... But just different... Like, people will confess to weird things just to confess to things even if they had no way feasibly of doing it it's just like a thing that some people do but i could see if you were more distantly connected to it like in a it just happened in my town i was walking down the Mm -hmm. street sort of way versus a you know i guess more sinister taking a part in it like no one's saying that they took a part in it Everyone's just saying, I was there, I saw, I heard. My little brother asked him for a football. Yeah. I don't know, man. Weird shit. (laughs) But that's what we do here, right? Seems to be. We're getting listens for it, so there's that. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) I think that's that's it I've... That's all I have. That's it I got. (laughs) All right. Okay. Thanks for joining us today as we discovered some Christmas death and destruction. Next week, we'll be heading down from our UK trip to the coast of Africa, where we explore Morocco for the strange and unusual. We encourage you all to reach out with your ideas, feedback, and stories of your own. Were you ever robbed by Santa Claus? I would be curious about that. Have you ever met a ghost of Christmas past? Let us know. Are you secretly Ebenezer Scrooge, Casey? Uh, yes, yes, I am. But humbug. Yeah, I knew it. Weirdly, I almost, I almost always say Bob Marley instead of Jacob Marley. (laughs) (laughs) So I, that's what I was kind of chuckling. You asked me that. I was too busy going, ha ha, I'm an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, 
reach <laughs> sorry it's the holidays whatever but yeah if you reach out to us you can send us an email at strange unusual podcast at gmail.com if you're sending a story we just ask for you to put listener story or something to that effect in the subject line so we can sort through those a little bit easier and find them so we can do our episode yeah and you can also find us on instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or our personal accounts roya rampage r-o-y-a rampage and calamity casey c-a-s-e-y where we will post our own weird shit in our personal lives our food photos and our eggnog blackouts and cats <laughs> you can also find us on twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roya Rampage, where she will disappoint you with her lack of posting. Um, and you can now find us on Facebook if you just search for us, uh, the Strange and Unusual podcast page. Uh, you should be able to find us pretty easily. Uh, we encourage you to reach out to us on those venues as well. We love to interact with people. We want to share weird memes and weird headlines. Like, um, weird headlines, you can send us... Um, any interesting stories that you find that you'd like for us to cover. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we've got some new venues that are up and running. If you can find all of those listed on our Facebook page. And uh, we just encourage you, if you're listening to us on a an app, whatever bajig, that you can rate our podcast. Um, if you rate us. Yeah. It'll help us out um, to try to grow the podcast and get it off the ground a little bit more. So we'd really appreciate that. Yeah. Oh, and and shortly we will have um, a Patreon going live. Our plan is to do some bonus episodes on there. We're still kind of talking about the content that will be on there, um, but potentially mm-hmm. early access to episodes, bonus episodes, opportunities to sponsor episodes where we talk about how awesome you are. We're still working on it and trying to figure out all the tiers and everything, but that should be coming toward the beginning of the new year. Yeah, and you can also reach out to us at our email and let us know what kinds of things you'd like to see for Patreon tiers. If there's an idea that you have that you're like, man, I would pay for this, let us know. Yeah, for Maybe sure. Maybe we can work it in. Yeah, we can. I mean, I, I definitely, yeah. I'm not sure what I'm going to cover yet, but I'm going to do some investigating and find something neat. Cool. All right. So see you guys next week. New episodes come out on Wednesdays at midnight, so you can have them downloaded and ready for your day. As always, hope to see you next week. And I hope you have a Merry Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. Otherwise, happy whatever other holiday you like or want to celebrate. But it's Christmas today. I hate everything about the voice you did right there. Look, some voice acting talent scout might be listening and want to hear all the different voices I can do. I mean, and more (laughs) power to you. I'm just saying that one in particular. I hate it. Thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) All right, everyone. Bye. Bye.